Back to one of our favorite spots down here at Studio 49 on the University of Montana campus recording with Justin Angle. It's a business angle presented by Blackfoot Communications, the overlay between business and sports. First question for you, you're a runner. How fast could you run 3,000 meters right now? 3,000 meters right now? Like right now. Like 1.9 1. 1. miles about. Oh, gosh. I mean, I could probably, <laughs> you know, between 11 and 12 minutes. That's impressive. See, yeah. I was thinking this would probably take me about 25 minutes, maybe even 30 minutes. And then I was thinking Duncan Hamilton did this in 8 minutes and 25 seconds with hurdles and puddles on Jeez the track. Louise. Yeah, that's insane. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing to think, you know, Truly, we've, we've reached a point in, in distance running where the guys are running as fast as like a normal fast person can run for then the duration of three to 10,000 meters. It it used to be, think, oh, that guy just has toughness. He can just run yeah. forever. He's not actually that fast. Now they're actually fast and running that many laps in such amazing time. 8.25.17 was the official time last weekend at the Eastern Kentucky Twilight Meet for Duncan Hamilton. We've mentioned it a couple times on the show, but I'm not going to stop mentioning it. This is the number one time in the United States of America. It's pretty wild, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy that a college kid from Bozeman is doing this, right? Yeah, it reminds me, those, those trying to make those speeds relative and accessible. It reminds me, back when Ryan Hall was the top marathoner in yeah. the United States, yep. and one of the top marathoners in the world, there was this display in the Chicago airport of him. You know, they have this underground tunnel that's, I don't know, like a quarter mile or something. It's long. Most mm -hmm. people take the little flat escalator. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess it's not an escalator. If it's flat, it should be a people mover of some sure, kind. Right. Anyway, Moving it doesn't go up yeah, yeah. or down. Anyway, <laughs> so they had this big mural, essentially, electronic screen of him running at marathon pace. <laughs> right. And they did like it, it just looked like an automobile <laughs> driving down this thing, and you know you couldn't even fathom trying to run at that speed in this hallway. Mark Mesmer, who's a great distance runner from Missoula Sentinel, ran track here at the University of Montana. He's been a, uh, sort of the dominant figure in the Missoula Marathon yeah. the last couple of years. He ran at the Boston Marathon, and he did great. He ran two hours and twenty minutes and change. I couldn't believe that that was there was 35 guys faster than sure, that. Yeah, it's amazing how much we're pushing the limits of of human achievement, right? I mean, it used to be that if you ran under two hours and 30 minutes in the marathon, that is absolutely unbelievably elite. And now it's still elite. But the fact that there was 37 guys that could run under 230, and it's just crazy. Yeah, we break these barriers and just more people, you know, believe it can be done and they access it. And the shoes have gotten better. We have those, you know, the shoes with the carbon plates that add some speed and, and whatnot. So yeah, it's the the envelopes being pushed for sure. It's sort of like the, the concept of understanding what human achievement opens a floodgate too, mm -hmm. right? Like we had this great book that we went through over the last year and a half or so, the, the hundred greatest sports figures of the 20th century, but it was copyright 1954. So there was oh. a lot of people that we, it was a great exercise in seeing how legends maintain, how legends fade. Yes. Like about a third of the book, we definitely remembered them vividly. Babe Ruth, you know, Joe Lewis, guys like that. A third, you needed a little reminder. And then like a third of them, you had no idea, you'd never heard of them. But like the guy who swam the English Channel for the first time, mm. or the guy who ran the first four minute mile, well, like Roger Bancer ran the first four-minute mile, yep, and then like 30 guys did it in the next year, and it wasn't to demean his accomplishment. They just believed that they could exactly. do it because he showed them. Yeah, we create these artificial barriers, right? Like there's nothing necessarily materially different than, you know, one second, if, whether it's 401 or 359, but there's such a huge psychological gap there. And yeah, once that barrier is broken, people believe they can do it. 
Business Angle presented by Blackfoot Communications. Visit goblackfoot.com to see how Blackfoot can help you and your small business. Several things to get to with Justin Angle. First of all, uh, this made me feel old, but I also think it's very cool. Yesterday, or I guess on Monday, the um, the Montana High School uh, Association announced the postseasons for high school sports for all the various different deals. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's a pretty common practice, but the one thing that I thought was a big piece of news was the Class AA State Basketball Tournament is coming to Missoula right. for the first time in 20 years. There's a lot of reasons why. Missoula had the Class A tournament, I guess, two years ago. And that was the first tournament in quite some time. I think it says 2016. And I think there's only been two or three state tournaments in the last 20 years, period. But Missoula has not gotten the AA tournament since I was a junior in high school, which is wow. pretty crazy to think about. A lot of reasons for it. Yeah. It used to be that the Big Sky champion hosted the Big Sky tournament. And pretty much perennially, that was the Lady Grizz. And so the Adams Center was occupied. There was yeah. oftentimes not an ability to bid on it. But now we're at a neutral site tournament. So there, we're, you know, we're 10 years into the neutral site thing for the Big Sky. So I hope... Missoula can uh, can continue to bid on these things. It's interesting, though, because I also think one reason Missoula hasn't gotten them quite as much is because Missoula has such a booming downtown and tourist economy, and I guess you don't necessarily, quote-unquote, need the influx of people like a Great Falls or a Butte might. So, I mean, what do you think of this, and how big of an impact could this have economically if Missoula does this thing right? Well, I, you know, I don't know if, if the need argument necessarily holds weight at the planning level, uh, although I do think, like, as a parent who is now in the world of traveling to my kids' sporting events, there are big differences in the affordability of the cities. Like, trying to get a hotel in Bozeman is an expensive proposition right? versus trying to get a hotel in Gray Falls or Billings. Um, you know, and prices in Missoula are, are coming up. And it's it's a it's and it's probably on average a, a longer drive for for places it's That's less right, centrally yeah. located, um, and so whether or not we need it or not, it's it, that I think that argument is a little less kind of compelling than the cost and the distance traveled. At the same time, to answer your other your the other aspect of your question. It can be a great boon to the to the local economy. You fill up hotels, you get people out, and the, you know the same sorts of effects that we get during Grizz games or other events in town. And it's great for the university. You know, we can embrace those those folks coming to the, the community on campus and so forth. So there's a ton of upside as far as just showcasing the community. I, I also think too, it's it's funny. There's the the famed bumper sticker. Missoula, the nicest town, a ten-minute drive away from Montana, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And and we, you know, we both love Missoula. Missoula's a great community, and uh, I do think though, there's like I don't know how to say it. There's an interesting perception of Missoula among a lot of the other Montana towns. Of course, I hope though that this is an opportunity to sort of skew some of that perception in a positive direction, right? Potentially. I mean, I think a lot of that is driven by politics. For sure. You know, the blue dot and a red sea. That's right. And, <laughs> you know, some of that is difficult to break down. You come to a city and you're generally experiencing a more, it's a more liberal oriented cultural experience in, in almost any city. Right. So if you're coming from a rural community, the city kind of can feel exciting, but it can also feel threatening. So I I don't know if there's anything explicitly that can be done to kind of bridge that urban-rural divide in Montana. Um, At the same time, like having a positive experience in the city, regardless of the political dimensions, just, 
you know, eating good food, meeting nice people, feeling like the welcome mat was rolled out for you, that could go a long way to kind of making these places feel more accessible to a wider variety of people. The the last thing I think that is worth adding is that for despite any sort of uh, political perceptions or whatever that exists around here, Missoula is a great sports town. Yeah. And so I think that there's going to be a bunch of people that just live in Missoula that are going to want to go to this tournament. I think mm-hmm. that like the crowds will be very good because people will just want to have basketball to watch. Yeah, and it's a good facility. It's a great facility. Yeah, that's the other part. is It's going to be superior to, I mean, I would argue it's the premier basketball facility in the state. Yeah, and, and by then, I would assume that that you know the new art museum will be complete, and that so parking whole, will be easier. Yeah. yeah, and that whole North Campus kind of entertainment um, zone will be kind of uh, nearing completion, and that'll be a great experience because I've seen the plans for that set up, and it, and it looks like it just really tries to create a a, a great experience, but on that north end of campus contiguous to the river and flowing into the downtown zone. Nuan is now ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television, and the ESPN MT app. The State AA Tournament will be here next spring. We are here on the University of Montana campus coming to you from Studio 49. Uh, recording this on a Wednesday, but you're listening to this uh, later on in the week. As you listen to this, the NFL Draft is going, and there's a couple hopefuls. Uh, no Troy Anderson in this, uh, in this group. Last year it was not a matter of if, but when Troy Anderson would get drafted. Uh, and then Daniel Hardy from Montana State as well also snuck into the draft. This year, though, a couple guys from the University of Montana with realistic aspirations. Patrick O'Connell, who's a Kalispell native. Justin Ford, who hails from North Carolina, but played the last two years of his career for the Grizz. And then probably Ty Okada, the number one prospect for the, the uh, Cats, uh, who hails from Minnesota. Um, is this a strict... I, I guess my question for you is, if these guys get drafted and or signed free agent contracts... It's obviously a boon for the athletic department. Sure. Is it only limited to that, though? Is, is this something you could use as some sort of marketing for, for the university as a whole? I think so. And it, it's kind of, it varies based on where these where these kids go. So, like, take Colt Anderson, for example. A great career. Yep. And establishes sort of this, this athletic lifestyle brand up top. And yep. that creates all these spillover effects sure. for... The university as a whole, it gets integrated into some of our promotional uh, materials, you know, merchandise, etc. So that that's an example of a great story. Those those are sort of hard to come by for sure. But they well, you are. Can teach, you can teach a business class about Colt Anderson, right? Making money as an athlete that then becomes uh, an evergreen money making opportunity as a business. Owner. Absolutely, created a lifestyle brand, yeah. right? Uh, based on a lifestyle. And I think there's opportunities for that, um, but it's very dependent on personality of the kid, where they land, what kind of career they have, and then how connected they are to the to the uni- to the university, whether it's Montana or Montana State. I mean, there are things that that you can do um, to really kind of promote that story if the person is connected to their university, wants to be a part of that story. Um, but yeah, I think it can spill over beyond. You, know, you think of like watching the Super Bowl or NFL playoff games where they do those player introductions and sure, right. you know the starter you know they have those live pictures of the starters and they'll say where they're from and that carries weight you hear sure. like the Ohio State sure. or you know Miami University or whatever um uh, Marshawn Lewis used to say R- right. <laughs> he used to say like Oakland High School right right he never like would that. say Cal he'd always say Oakland High or whatever it would be yeah, yeah. and so those those are big marquee impressions that carry weight with people. I found it fascinating because Troy Anderson was 
justifiably so, put on this giant pedestal at Montana State, and he was arguably the face of the university yeah. outside of Wadi Cruzado for a couple years. And uh, they've still used him to promote their brand a little bit, but it hasn't been nearly as much as I thought maybe it would. Part of that, though, is because he's a rookie last year. He's trying to make his way. And, and if he explodes and becomes like a starter, all-pro type star, it'll be a little bit different, I think. But I don't know. I think it's objectively good for the schools, though, if these guys make it, get a shot at the NFL. Yeah, I don't think there's anything bad unless they get wrapped up in some bad behaviors and a sure, bad outcome, right. and then you start right. to wonder, like, what was it that contributed to this person's bad choices right. and whatnot? But, but let's hope that doesn't happen. Well, I mean, yeah, you harken back to the Ryan Leaf situation, right? Like, right. Ryan Leaf's from Great Falls, and then he went to Washington State, and they did the infamous article when he was a, a finalist for the Heisman where he's like, yeah, I don't really claim Montana as my home anymore. Well, that's <laughs> about the, the dumbest thing you could say if you want anybody in Montana to ever like you again. I mean... It was like instant. People were like, oh, no, well, he doesn't claim us. We don't claim him. See you later, buddy. Right. Well, it worked out okay for Montana in the long run, I guess. <laughs> exactly right. The one is now ESPN Radio. Uh, the saga, at least for now, in terms of the transaction, is finally over. Aaron Rodgers yeah. finally traded to New York. This was probably, maybe, certainly, possibly going to happen for, like, weeks. I just knew it was going to happen, but it was like, when are they actually going to do it? And then they did it, and the Green Bay Packers trade uh, Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets. Um, I think this is an interesting analysis in terms of him changing markets because he goes from the smallest market in pro sports yep. to the biggest market in pro sports. But it's it's interesting analysis because in the NFL, I think it's the one sport where it doesn't matter. W- what do you think? Is, is Aaron Rodgers going to be even more exposed in the Big Apple, or is that ship already sailed? Well, it's hard to imagine, like, Aaron Rodgers acquiring or establishing a higher profile. Right, um, right. But you think of the profile. I mean, it's interesting. It's so tempting to draw the comparison to Brett Favre because of the similar sure, path. Sure, You know, and, and Rodgers and Favre have some similarities in the sense that they've cultivated this uh, kind of rural-ish persona which I think is you can do that in Green Bay mm-hmm. and, and Rogers is from uh, I think it's Butte County, California right. and, and though he did go to Cal which is like the, the last bastion of liberalism in the country <laughs> right. um, I just wonder like his his he hasn't had a lot of charisma and positive interaction with the media he seeks out you know, he goes on the Pat McAfee show All regularly. Yep, uses it as his mouthpiece. But he is pretty selective and kind of um, bristles at the media, I think. Yeah. And, and, and that's going to be harder to play in New York, particularly if the numbers on the field aren't, um, they won't, it, it's hard to imagine them meeting expectations. I mean, what, what Tom Brady did when he moved to the Bucks. That's got to be hard to. Um, it's hard to imagine the Jets going and winning the Super Bowl in in Rogers' first year there, and so that's like, I think the expectation. It's certainly the expectation of fans in New York City. Um, I would say, and, and so it's it's hard to imagine like that's a level of of scrutiny and exposure. Maybe not in magnitude, but in terms of uh, you know intensity that I don't think Rogers has um, been been had to endure throughout his career. He's certainly going to have uh, a high level of scrutiny from a football perspective. I think the thing that's going to get elevated so much is the scrutiny and the the pure coverage of his lifestyle. Yes. His life. Yep. He's had very many famous girlfriends in his mm-hmm. life. Th- that's going to be times 10, times 100 in New York City. Yeah. yeah, and so it depends on how he plays it. Like, does he embrace this right. 
you know, bachelor in the big city lifestyle. Uh, my sense is probably not. He might, who, who knows? Yeah. Um, but if he tries to go like ultra private, that's gonna be a recipe for a lot of conflict. And he just sort of is like throwing bait to the t- to the tabloid journalist to chase him around. He also sort of uh, scoffs at the media because I think he's like an example of how it's all changed. It used to be for years and years and years, if you weren't at the game and you couldn't get the game live on the radio. You need the sports writers to tell you what happened. Yeah. You need the commentators yeah. to tell you what's going on. Now you can watch a whole NBA game on highlights on Twitter if you want to. Like you don't have to be anywhere. Or uh, the the media has has transformed in its role for sure. I think Rogers has sort of um, casually, but also directly said, "I don't need your platform. I have my own platform. My buddy's got a podcast. It's mm-hmm. my podcast. Right. If I want to talk about me, I'm going to talk about me. I'm not doing some in depth interview with Dick Schapp or whoever it might be. I'm going to tell you what I think." With Pat McAfee, because he's my buddy. Yes. It's just interesting to see how it's all transformed. Yeah, and you wonder, like, at that level of talent and wealth and just sort of resources at your disposal, you know, if if, if you and I were, like, moving to New York and had to set up shop there, it'd be kind of hard to get your life, your, your head around how life would get more complex and right. how there's a lot more friction right. and expense and all these things. Like, getting around and doing all the things is 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 difficult, or more difficult at the level of an Aaron Rodgers. How difficult is that? Right. You know, does he just have staff that just takes care of all that stuff? I would assume yes, but it it probably will be a much more complex um, environment in which to operate, in which to move around, walk down the street, get the food you want, services you want. I think it's just going to be a, a, a an adjustment. I mean, he might just bask in it and, and thrive, but. Um, I don't think there's a lot of evidence to to sort of expect that that's going to be an easy transition. It's going to be fascinating. The business angle, the overlay between business and sports here on Nuanas Now on ESPN Radio. Rocky Mountain College in Billings, small private school there yeah. in the Magic City. Oh, but this is kind of cool, actually. They paired with Meadowlark Brewing to make their own beer, the Batlin Bears beer. Uh, not a totally unique thing. There's been, you know, Grizz beers around Missoula. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I know there's like a Bobcat Golden Ale or something in one of the breweries in Bose, but I'm, I'm not going to, I can't remember which brewery makes what beer because there's so many craft beers in Montana. But what do you think of this for a branding opportunity for a school of like 1,500 kids? This is kind of cool, right? I think it's fantastic. I mean, that school's right in the center of, of the residential yeah. zone in the town. Um, you know, when we had the, the, the Grizz Ale here, I think it was... Um, by Big Sky. That's right, Big Sky. Yep. I, I thought it was a great success. It was it was great to see it on the shelves. It was great for, um, you know, it got complicated because the stadium deals with you know bigger sure, bigger right, brands right, right, and right. all that. So it's 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 choppy waters for somebody who's in sports marketing to kind of navigate that. Um, but I think it's a it's a great opportunity. It's great for the brewery. It's great for the school. I do. Th- you know the the sort of prude in me it does think like this is an odd space for a college to be marketing. You know, should you hit your sure, wagon right. to to an alcohol brand? Um, when I've raised that concern, um, it's been sort of th- thrown out as as absurd. Like, oh man, that's old world thinking, and you know, uh, you know. It, but I think the uh, the prude in me can't really get over the impropriety of of that association. 
I've talked about that a lot with UM Dining Services, who does a lot of advertising with us. And there's the property off campus, the Iron Grizz, who has great beer and wine selection. Then there's the on campus properties, and they've gone through that a lot too, right? Yeah. Like, Do we sell beer at the pool hall and things like that? Like, on one hand, it's a money making opportunity, and you know, people drinking responsibly, playing pool at the UC is not. I mean, that sounds like a pretty normal thing. But then on the other hand, like you're saying, you really want to have alcohol available actually on campus for sale. It's an interesting well, conundrum. I, yeah, I mean, I think that's a little bit of a different issue. Like right. serving it, you know, there's still, you know, presumably you have to be of age to buy it if that's the law. Yes, right. Um, but if you are, you know, these sort of endorsement deals are all about brand associations sure, and fit right. between the two brands. So to, to sort of have a branded product or to license your brand to a product that is associated with abuse by your primary customers, your students, right, right. that just puts you in this in this murky ethical space. Mm-hmm. Could be a great opportunity, great opportunity to engage with alums, with students of age, but you're in this you're in this murky area where, you know, it's like marketing cigarettes to children, right? Sure. Right. It is hugely profitable for those companies as his history in the court cases have shown, but um uh, doesn't really seem ethical to me. Right, totally. Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio, The Business Angle, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Um, we'll come back to NBA and NHL playoffs if we have time, but I want to get into this last point here. The uh, I'm just going to read this news brief from earlier today. The Metro National, uh, Nashville, excuse me, Metro Nashville City Council approved 26 to 12, uh, a vote early Wednesday morning on the final reading to allow its sports authority to issue a $760 million bond that, combined with $500 million in state bonds, means $1.2 billion in public financing, which is committed to build the Tennessee Titans a new stadium. This gives Tennessee the largest public price tag ever for a stadium in the NFL, topping the $850 million that New York State gave to the Buffalo Bills for their $1.5 billion stadium. The stadium's total cost... Uh, for the Titans, estimated at $2.1 billion. The NFL's numbers are just so crazy to me. The Titans will uh, help NFL uh, personnel seat license and blah, 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 blah. So what, what do we think of this? Because we've seen in the past when voters shut this sort of stuff down. Yeah. And, that, and that's one of the reasons why the Oakland Athletics are on the way to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, this seems like a crazy amount of money for taxpayers to float for... Uh, a football stadium, especially considering there's probably and likely other uses for this money in Tennessee. Yeah. So before I kind of rant about this, I want to disclose that I've not looked at the economics of this specific case. Like what is the value of the Titans franchise to the state, to the city, et cetera. What sort of return on this public investment is, is achieved? What sorts of other opportunities will the city and the state have to monetize that stadium? I don't know those, those, um, the, the results of that analysis. However, I do just have a big problem with these, NFL teams, NBA teams, professional sports franchises that are, you know, some of the most valuable um, entities in sports in the world are able to just hold these municipalities hostage for right. financing. Right. You know, it, 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 
Yeah, I don't go to the state of or to the city of Missoula and say, you know, I want to put an addition on my house. You need to finance it or I'm moving away <laughs> right. and I have a lot of value to this town. Right, right. I mean, I guess if you do have that kind of pull. For sure. If folks are really into the business angle, they might want to buy bonds in our operation here, Coulter, but I, I doubt that's the case. And it just seems like given the wealth associated with th these franchises, the owners, the players, all the executives, all of it, it just seems kind of absurd that the public is financing a stadium for a billionaire's franchise to play in and that that billionaire can, can hold the city hostage. Um, uh, yeah, it's bad optics. I think it's bad economics. And then Tennessee in particular, you know, it's just as you, as you sort of floated this, I was looking up uh, some characteristics of Tennessee. Yeah, they, they rank third in the country in fiscal stability, so they're in good shape. Yeah. But they, um, but that means you know they don't have a lot of debt. They don't. Oh, states can't run a, a, a budget deficit, but they don't have a lot of municipal debt. They have budget surplus. But they have bad health comes, ha bad health outcomes. Sure. They rank towards the bottom in the country in, in health. Poor ratings on uh, crime. Poor ratings on how they treat the environment. Poor ratings on education. Um, so, you know. I think you could ask the question, like, is there a better way for this state to spend its its money on its on its citizens? A report from Forbes from uh, last August, the Tennessee Titans are the 27th most valuable franchise in the NFL out of 32 teams. $3.5 billion is what they're worth. That's crazy that Jeez. that's what the 27th most valuable franchise is. <laughs> this is another crazy one. Their ownership group, which is, I'm sure, multi-generational, uh, once upon a time bought this team when it was first the Houston Oilers in 1959 oh, yeah. for $25,000. <laughs> Pretty good investment. Yeah, yeah, different world. Uh, they are producing annually $485 million in revenue. They have an operating income of 1100 or excuse me, $115 million. So they're making about four times the profit, I guess, for their operating uh, expenses. They uh, have a payroll of about $240 million, which is one of their main costs, and uh, they make about $68 million at the gate. A fan is worth $61 per fan, uh, considering their, their total fan base yep. and uh, what they make at the gate. So, uh, man. And how do those, I'd be curious how those numbers shift if the franchise itself has to finance its yeah, facility. For sure. Right, if they have to take on debt or... I, 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 I truly think that people think of this like they used to think of it in the 1980s before these teams were making yeah. billions of dollars. Yeah. We must have them because we need to fortify our city. And America was in such a heavy growth mode 30, 40 years ago. Now... The, the big cities are the big cities, and that's just going to be what it's going to be. I mean, it, it, there's maybe a few cities that could enter into that top lexicon of the top 30 or 35, but most of them are pretty steady, right? They're so far ahead of everybody else. And so I, I guess the, the I think that they use the sort of perception of the Sonics leaving yeah. to scare people. But really, if people looked at the numbers, I mean, if, if you're making hundreds of millions of dollars, you should finance your own $2 billion stadium. And it would still be a good investment. Yeah, and you look, you absolutely should finance your own sta stadium. But if you can get the public to do it, I mean, well, right. uh, why wouldn't you at least try? And then you look at Seattle, like Amazon didn't leave. You know, Microsoft sure. didn't leave. Sure. All these giant corporations that employ a ton of people and right. generate a ton of money in that community. Seattle's got its problems. I'm not trying to For sure. paint the picture of a perfect city. Right. 
and there's a lot of people upset that the Sonics aren't there. Um, but it doesn't seem to have created the economic viability of the city. Well, last thing on this, um, I know it's a completely micro scale, but I have often wondered from the, from this premise. The Titans are taking advantage of people that are very passionate about their team, for mm-hmm. better or worse. And that, yeah. if you can do it and the voters pass it, hey, that's fine, whatever. You, you finance your stadium through public money, that's great. But I often wondered, and I know it's not professional sports, although college sports is becoming professional sports, why this hasn't happened more in towns like Missoula or Bozeman. Hmm. Both Missoula and Bozeman, both Mon- Montana and Montana State, are, are in the midst of building indoor practice facilities. When the Grizz were feverishly trying to raise money to do this, I often thought, why don't they try to fund it partially publicly? That itself would actually be less controversial to me. If you built an indoor facility that had at least partly voter funding, yeah. then it could be a multi-purpose facility that serves everybody. It's going to be great for the you know 400 athletes on the University of Montana campus. It will be, for sure. I'm happy for them. But what if this could be something that could also be used for youth soccer and youth lacrosse and all sorts of other things? And he had sort of this uh, balancing act where, where it was a public facility that the, the college got priority, but the public could use it pretty uh, heavily as well. Yeah, a few kind of thoughts about that. I mean, I think at one point, Missoula was thinking about that with the new library. Mm, interesting. Trying to somehow combine the, you know, a new version of the Mansfield Library and 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 the municipal library into some sort of a shared facility. Right. Ultimately, that that didn't happen. Although the university has programs like Spectrum and so forth in the public library, and that's great. You know, I I don't have any line of sight into these sorts of issues, but I would think that you know if if you are a football coach and you're building a training facility, you you want it to be yours. Sure. You want to have a lot of control over it. Yeah. And you want it to, yeah, it's a control thing. For sure. And I do think as far as some of the debt that the University of Montana has issued, there are some constraints on what that money can be used for. And I think the debt issues vary, you know, like the the debt we restructured five, six years ago had to be used for, you know, physical plant things. It couldn't be used for student services necessarily or, or, you know, scholarships or anything like Mm -hmm. that. So Mm -hmm. there are, if you're trying to raise public funds and sell into a municipal bond of some kind, there might be some legal constraints or the underwriters might have certain constraints on what you can put into the deal and what you can't. I just thought of this because Portland State has, um, you know, outside of the University of Montana, the nicest basketball arena in the conference. Mm-hmm. And people th- think, well, how does this commuter school have this? Well, because they funded it with like $60 million worth of tax money. Yeah. But then you look at the Stott Center's schedule and it, you're right, they, they had to relinquish a lot of control. There's 200 plus dates on a calendar year that it has nothing to do with Portland State. Yep. Whether it's a concert or, you know, a community gathering or whatever it might be. And I think it's cool that they did it, but I also think it's it's challenging and I think it would Yeah, I mean Missoula has some similarities to Portland, but I do think it, Portland is the one city where you can make that work as well. And if you own it as a university, then yeah, you can then right. make choices about how you want to monetize it. Totally. Right. Right. If, and if so maybe to... that is the future of these indoors. They they do you know implement in where they can rent it out to certain youth tournaments and things like that. Yeah. Absolutely. A Business Angle with Justin Angle here on Nuanas Now, presented by Blackfoot Communications. Thanks for being here, man. Yeah, thank you. It was a good one.